Well, good morning to everyone who followed the rules there. I hope you're doing well. So glad that you're here. Hope you had a great week and weekend. If you haven't met, my name is Chris. I have the honor of serving as senior pastor at BT Church and the privilege of taking us into God's word. Uh, if you have a copy of the scriptures, digital or physical, easy assignment today. Meet me in the first book of the Bible, first chapter, all right? Genesis chapter one is where we're gonna be in just the next few minutes before we uh, jump into the text and today's assignment, just a few things that I wanna do. I want to one more time welcome our guest today. If it's your first time, so thankful that you're with us. You're our VIP today. Let's welcome our guests one more time, BT family. Uh, if you haven't done so, and it may not be your first time, maybe your second or third time, if you would uh, text us at 97,097,000, type BTVIP, one word, no space, um, and uh, you'll get some prompts. If you'll respond to those prompts, we'd love to reach out to you and answer questions you might have. You could also scan the QR code on the sticker in the f seat in front of you or to your right or left. Uh, and let me say this also, uh, maybe you did you, last week or even last month or maybe last year, uh, you visited and you text us or scan that QR code and you haven't heard from us, uh, first off, I apologize. One of the most difficult things in church, and this is an excuse, one of the most difficult things in church is follow-up. Because uh, there, on one hand, can be both human and technical error. When we used to do handwritten cards, sometimes you can't read what got written down. And uh, I don't say that uh, in judgment. If I had to write it down, no one would be able to read my writing. Uh, so sometimes we can't make out what we receive. And then sometimes with the technology, uh, form isn't correctly filled out or not sent the right way. There's, there are some errors there. Then sometimes there are human errors where uh, someone... Uh, on our staff gets assigned a call, and it's a crazy week, and it gets overlooked. And so uh, I'll say this. It will never be perfect, but I promise you we will always strive to be better. And so if you didn't hear from us, text us again. Give us another chance, all right? Uh, we care about you and value your presence here. So, so glad to have uh, all of our regular tenders, members, and guests as well. Uh, and uh, we're thankful to have the BT Online family watching from wherever they are today. Let's welcome the Online family one more time. And uh, also join me in welcoming our ASL family. So glad to have you with us today. And uh, I say it often, I'm so thankful to be a church that welcomes um, everyone. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, we, we do love celebrating what God has done and is doing. And so we celebrate this reality that so far this year, 374 people have placed their faith in Jesus going from death to life uh, and experiencing the gift of salvation and 244 people have taken the step of obedience that we call believer's baptism. And so we celebrate what God is doing and I believe that uh, by his grace, hopefully today across our five campuses uh, that someone will say yes to Jesus and uh, maybe today also someone will uh, go public with that decision. Uh, just a reminder, baptism is not what makes you right with God. Uh, at no point in time can, can getting sprinkled or dunked or poured or tripping and falling in a puddle uh, outside of the church, right? Water cannot save you, right? Jesus does. Uh, we uh, are baptized as an act of obedience after placing our faith in Jesus uh, because we believe baptism is not a means of salvation, it's a mark of salvation. Uh, and so we publicly declare to our family, our church family, that we have decided to follow Jesus. And so uh, celebrate all those that have and uh, anxiously await all those who will make that decision uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, so last week, we started a new series, and if you were here last week, then you're following the rules because you're back. I said, if you're here for the first week of a sermon series, you have to be here for every week of that series. So all those people that were here last week, and they're not here today, and you know it, you need to text them and tell them 
they're on the list. So, um, no, last week we started a new sermon series, and you're picking the topics. The name of the series is Asking for a Friend, as you saw in the video, and uh, we've received almost, <coughs> excuse me, almost 80 questions, and now I know um, that uh, you may have submitted a question at the very beginning, and you have not heard it answered yet. I'm going to ask you to be patient. Let me just issue a few things. I say this because, and if you, if you sent this question, don't be offended. Uh, I don't know your name, so I'm not calling you out. But we received a question, and the question was, why hasn't my question been answered? And so I was like, well, that is a question, technically. I don't know if they were asking for themselves or a friend, but nonetheless. Um, <laughs> we've received about 80 questions, and uh, <clears throat> we're not going to turn this into an 80-week sermon series. So um, we're going to answer about five or six uh, on Sunday morning. Uh, beginning the next few weeks, probably next week, I would guess, as we strive to get everything together, we're going to answer other questions through some combination of podcasts, of live videos on social media, and potentially also through our church-wide email. Uh, and so we're going to try to answer as many as possible. Let me say a few things. We will not answer every question, okay? Uh, we will not answer every question. There are some questions that I've looked at, and uh, we're going to say, you know what, we're going to try to answer that at a later date, uh, because we... We're not selecting it as one of our five or six for Sunday morning, and we don't think it's best answered in one of the other venues, and so we will save that for the next time we do a series like this. Uh, some questions, just to be honest, they aren't answerable, okay? They're not answerable, uh, at least not in a way that I think is uh, constructive. And so the, it's, just, it's not wrong that they were asked. They just, I, we, I'll give you an example. We were given a question. It's a legitimate question. Uh, were women att attracted to Jesus? I'm like, I, I have I literally have no idea how to answer that question. Uh, it, it, it's, he was a man, right? He's fully God, but he, he was a man. And so, I, you know, I guess it's possible. I don't know how to answer that. Uh, so some we don't believe can be answered. Um, and, and so we're going to do our best. But just if you've submitted a question, hold on and be patient. And if we don't get to it, I promise we're <clears throat> not trying to ignore it. We're either saving it for later or um, it just may not be that there's a real specific way to get to that in a constructive manner. So anyways, uh, so asking for a friend is where we are. If you missed last week, we opened the series with the most commonly asked question uh, when you do things like this, and that is why do bad things happen to good people? So last week, we tried to address that uh, in, a, in a holistic overview from scripture. And so we're really, we're just coming out the gates hot, all right? So week one, the most commonly asked question. Week two, the most controversial, okay? Uh, and so that's how we like to roll. Like if, 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 if you stick around after one and two, then maybe we got a shot in keeping you around. Um, so why do bad things happen to good people? You can catch that online. Go to YouTube, search BT Church, or download our app. Check us out on Facebook. But today, what I would say is probably the most controversial question uh, asked of the faith is, does God care about my sexuality? Does God care about my sexuality? And let me say a few things before we jump in. Uh, this is obviously an extremely charged question. Uh, we were asked this question in some way, shape, or form uh, in multiple ways uh, about multiple topics of human sexuality. And so it is obviously a very charged question. It has always been a very charged question. And today, with uh, all of the things that can fall under sexuality and how that word is defined and used, uh, the charged nature has only increased. Uh, it is very likely that throughout the course of the next 30 or so minutes, 40 or 45, um, I will say something that will make you uncomfortable. 
right? Uh, and so, and let me just, on the front, I'm going to come back to that. On the front, and I may say something that makes you uncomfortable because I may address something according to Scripture that, that does not line up with how you're choosing to live your life, and that can make you uncomfortable. I may say something about how we as the church should address people who are making decisions that don't line up with Scripture, and that may make you uncomfortable, okay? And, and so my, my full intent is to uh, faithfully represent the text, and if I have to offend anyone, I hope I offend everyone. So, um, I'm joking, mostly. So, does God care about my sexuality? The reality is that sex, oh, and let me issue the last little caveat, uh, it will be a PG sermon, at times flirting with PG-13. So, uh, parents with children, enjoy your afternoon. All right, uh, <laughs> We have our 10-year-old with us to the, in service sitting with my wife. My wife said, do I need to take him out? I was like, nah. Just know that I'm talking about it now, so you talk about it later. <laughs> I'm doing my part, so. Sexuality and sex um, are created by God. Let's just get that out of the way, okay? Sexuality, sexual desires, sex as far as gender, and sex as far as the act are created by God. They are gifts from God. Let's understand that. I say this all the time. God did not create the heavens and the earth and fill the earth with uh, vegetation and, and all of life and then make man and woman and then go to the kitchen for a snack and while he turned his back, Satan whipped up sex on his own. God created it. He created it as a gift. It's part of his design, which will be what drives our sermon today, <coughs> and this reality of sexuality and sex being God's creation and God's gift, uh, it's important that the church addresses this today. The, the, problem, let me just, the problem is not that the church addresses sex too much. The problem is that we do not address it enough. We stay silent while the world speaks, and then we wonder why the world is dictating the culture's view on sex, right? I understand that this is an uncomfortable subject for some. Uh, it's not my favorite to preach on, so. Uh, come back next week, I'll talk about money. Just knock out my two favorite, right? So <laughs> maybe I'll bring it in today, who knows? But we have to address this subject. We have to talk about God's design. We have to talk about the reality that God has created sex and sexuality for Pleasure, it's a gift, he has a purpose, and it is an important question in light of today's culture. God cares about our sexuality because he has created us as sexual beings. He's created us male and female as part of that design. He cares about our sex. And so let's talk about, and let me just say big picture, right? I've got limited amount of time, can't address all of it. Let's talk big picture about why God cares about our sexuality. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's start in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26 and going to verse 28, it says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image. This is, follow, this is towards the end of the creation story. So everything has been spoken into existence. And God said, let us make man in our image. Just to clarify, there's not multiple gods. We believe in the triune God, the doctrine of the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. That's the plural. Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness. 
<coughs> they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful Multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Here's the first thing I want to talk about, and that's God's design. When it comes to sex and sexuality, what is God's design and is there one stated? I will say this at the beginning. I'm going to use the scriptures to uh, inform my decisions. You will have to make that decision for yourself. But I believe that the Bible clearly speaks to a design that God has as creator and author of life and of human sex and sexuality. Our sexed bodies, what does that mean? We are created with sexual desires, sexual, but our sexed bodies by anatomy, male and female, are part of God's design. We are here because of God's creation and his purpose and the way he has designed this. We start here. There's so many places to begin, right? Let's start with all the problems in the world's view of sex. Let's, let's talk about what's happening in same-sex attraction. No, we start here. Hear me, beloved. We start here because anywhere else is the wrong foundation to start from. What's happening many times in the church's discussion of sex and sexuality is the world begins to talk about desires and ideations, and so we start there. We have to start with what we believe the Scripture to teach us to be God's design, the foundational principle of this subject. And so we start by simply looking at the text, and and it's pretty straightforward. I don't feel the need to go into great uh, explanation. God has created male and female, and in his design, he created sexual bodies and sexual desires, and he created sex to be enjoyed. That's where married people say amen, not just. You got to help me out a little bit today. He very much created it for enjoyment, but there is a purpose, and that is procreation in his design. He has designed this gift that he has given us, and before sin and brokenness entered the world, God determined that his good design for sexuality would be a man and a woman in a covenant called marriage, enjoying the gift and being fruitful and multiplying. That's what we see here in the text, be fruitful and multiply. Sex is the physical beauty of the covenant reality of God's design. Sex is the physical beauty. It's the physical reality. It's the physical expression of God's design. Now, let me say a few things. I understand today there are some who are not married. Uh, You matter, okay? There are some who do not have children. You matter. There are some who are single parents. You you matter. We, We are speaking to the design, and if If you don't find yourself in a place where that design is applying to your life because you're not married, it doesn't mean that you don't have a place and a purpose in God's design and in this church today. He has created this design. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And again, sex is the physical expression of this design that God has created. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 says this. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. 
both the man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. So Genesis chapter one, if you're unfamiliar, we read about the creation of everything and it's a poem. It says evening and morning, first day, evening and morning, second day, evening and, it's a poem. Genesis chapter two is the same information but it's in story form, okay? So we looked at the end of the first chapter where God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and so he created them male and female, male and female, he created them. He told them to be fruitful and multiply to fill and subdue the earth, Genesis 1. Genesis 2, we see the creation story again, and in this story, there's more narrative, so we read about Adam being put to sleep and because he named the animals, and he found there was no complement to him, there was no corresponding equal, so he's put to sleep, God removes a rib, creates the woman. Adam wakes up from his anesthesia and he sees Eve, right? And he writes the first 80s ballad ever, right? He beat Bon Jovi to it. He says, this at last, it's a love song. He says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And then following that is where we read these verses in Genesis 2, 24 and 25. The man said, uh, and th- I'm sorry, this is why the man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and the woman were naked and yet felt no shame. Here's the simple reality. And so I say this on the front side. I believe today when it comes to the subject of sex and sexuality uh, that it is a charged subject as I mentioned. And the last thing the church should want to do is to communicate in such a way that people who are seeking hope and healing in Jesus feel like they can't find it at the church. You catch that? The last thing we should do is speak in such a way that people who are seeking hope and healing in Jesus feel like they cannot find it at the church. That doesn't mean that we have to not state what we believe the Bible teaches. And one of the things I think is happening in our sexually charged culture today is the church is erring at times in multiple ways. Sometimes we almost communicate to those that are struggling with sex and sexuality that you need to get that fixed before you can come to Jesus. You better get that figured out because that mess, you you gotta fix that. You You don't bring that to Jesus and that's antithetical to the gospel. We all bring our mess to Jesus. And I'm gonna say this again, but let me say it now. We should not be more outraged at other people's sins than our own. When, when, when we find it easier to be outraged and disgusted and, and, and infuriated by someone else's sin, but completely content with ours, we are doing it wrong. Okay? And, and, and so... What's happening is that sometimes the church is miscommunicating and stating that when it comes to the gospel, hear me, someone who has any measure of sexual sin who doesn't know Jesus, their greatest need is Jesus. Someone who knows Jesus, who is choosing to disregard the design of God, they need discipleship, okay? So Sometimes the church errs because we get the cart and the horse in the wrong order and tell people who don't know Jesus they got to get their life figured out before they figure out Jesus. But also sometimes we err because what's happening, particularly maybe for more prominent Christian leaders that have the opportunity to speak to the media and the masses, they are asked very direct questions and give very indirect answers. And I don't think that's helpful. I think it comes from a desire to be loving, but hear me, beloved, clarity is always loving. So an example of what I believe happens in today's culture is sometimes Christian leaders, and they may have a different view 
But many times, it's not that they have a different view. They'll be asked, here's the question that's loaded. Do you believe that homosexuality is a sin? And they'll start with, well, what I want to say, and they go lots of places. And so this this is what I want to say. All sexual immorality, which we will speak of homosexuality, acted upon in that category is sinful. Because according to these two passages, and, and, and the rest of the Old Testament and New Testament in agreement, here's a reality, sexual acts outside of the divinely designed covenant. Did you catch that? Sexual acts outside of the divinely designed covenant of marriage made up of a, of a divinely designed male and female is sin. Sexual acts, both heterosexual and homosexual, outside of the divinely designed covenant called marriage between a divinely designed male and female is sinful. Sex was not given so we could disregard God's design. It was given so we could delight in it. This subject today that's causing so much division Sex and sexuality was not given so we could disregard God's design, but so that we could delight in it. And I think the foundation from where we're going to start from, from this church and where we interpret the scriptures to teach is that God has provided a design. And we li- listen, we live in a broken world, but the brokenness has not changed the plan. We, we live in a fallen, hurt-filled society. But I believe that there is still hope and purpose and beauty in the design that God has given us. And we see that in the created order. And so there is God's divine design. Second thing I want to talk about is the fact that there's cultural deception today. There's cultural deception. (coughs) In fact, I would say it this way. There is rampant cultural deception around sex driven by ideologies that disobey and disrespect God's design. Now, usually when we start talking about cultural deceptions, that's when no matter where you are on the uh, generation spectrum, you assume it's the generation after you's fault. <laughs> and because I spent 10 years as a youth pastor, I just, com- let me just say this, because again, if, I wanna, if I'm gonna offend anyone, let me offend everyone. I, I categorically reject that. I categorically reject the, that, that it's, it's, the younger, it's always going to be the younger generation's fault. Sin has been a reality since the first humans, okay? And what we see with each passing generation might be a proliferation of sinful expression. But sin does not get more sinful. You catch that? Sin has, got, has not gotten more sinful. There's a proliferation of expression today, right? But the answer, and this is why I'm thankful we're a next generation-minded church, the answer is not to assume that the younger generation is the problem. So I, I, Generation X, right, that's me. Generation X was not the first generation to have access to pornography. But it was the generation that first had proliferated, unfiltered access to pornography. And so my parents' generation, the baby boomers, could say, well, it's, it's the, the sexual mess we're in is because of Gen X. Do you know who created pornography? You know who printed those mag? It wasn't anybody in Gen X. We weren't born, right? 
boomers and builders saw a money-making avenue. And then what did Gen X do? You know what Gen X did? They put it on the internet. They saw a way to take print material that you had to be bold enough to go to the convenience store and say, I'll take that one behind the counter, please. It's for my neighbor, you know. <laughs> Gen X said, hold on, hold on. There, 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 there's a fortune to be made here if we could remove the shame. So let's put it online. So Gen X puts it online so the millennial generation becomes the most sexually charged generation where today the average age that a child is introduced to pornography is 11. Oh, it's the, this one, it's our faults. You catch that? It's our faults. It's the late theologian G.K. Chesterton when asked, there, there's, a, there's a, 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 an article in the paper and says, what is wrong with the world today? And he responds editorially, he says, I am. He's a theologian pastor and he, I am. We, we cannot continue to say it's some other generation. We have to realize, right? We get outraged by our own Sin, But today, the reality is that there is a rampant reality of cultural deceptions when it comes to the subject of human sex and sexuality driven by ideologies that simply do not obey or respect God's design. What are these cultural deceptions? I by no means can go through all of them, but let me just, let me just issue a few that I thought of this week. What are realities of, of cultural deceptions regarding sex and sexuality? Here, here are a few. Sex outside of marriage is okay. A monogamous homosexual relationship is okay. I was born in the wrong body. I get to determine if I'm male or female or neither. God doesn't care about my sexuality as long as I'm a good person. I must use a person's preferred pronouns. It's okay to view pornography to spice things up in my marriage. It's okay to view pornography as a healthy expression of my sexuality. Again, we could go on and on with, with many, many more, but these are just some examples of what I would call cultural deceptions regarding God's design for human sex and sexuality. You know, it's not uncommon in many churches today that would claim to believe the Bible to say that uh, homosexual activity, right? There are people that would say they have same-sex attraction and they are not responding to that attraction. They're not acting upon that attraction, right? The, the sin becomes the activity, right? And so many churches today would say that, that, that same-sex relationships and sexual activity is sinful and there would be agreement and uproar and amen. But here's the reality. There, there, are, there are heterosexual deceptions as well, Right? There are heterosexual deceptions as well that fall into the same category of missing the mark, disregarding the covenant that God has established called marriage, right? Again, pornography, as rampant as it is today, uh, 40 million U.S. citizens say they actively look at pornography. 68% of men who attend church say they actively search for pornography. 76% of Christian young adults, male and female, say they actively search for pornography. And all of these deceptions fly against God's design. They are fueling much of the heartache that we are experiencing in our society today. 
And beloved, Scripture is consistent. Again, I say this. I don't mean this dismissively or flippantly. Scripture is consistent. The decision that you and I must make is will we acknowledge and submit to it or disregard it? We've looked at the design in Genesis 1 and 2, but you can go through the Old Testament and the New Testament and see ample evidence of God's view of sexual immorality on the hot issue subject, hot button subject of homosexuality. And you can say there are, there are people that are uh, faithful and they, 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 it's monogamous and there are, you know, there are heterosexual people and they sleep around and have these affairs. How can that not be acceptable? And in the New Testament, not just in the New Testament, the book of Romans chapter one, Paul speaks of sexual moralities and he speaks of, uh, of women desiring relationship with women and men with women and he, and he says that they were given over to that which was not natural. Why would he use that language? Genesis one and Genesis two, it did not follow God's design. And so today we have to acknowledge that there is a deception in our culture that wants to take God's good gift and twist it and pervert it and it's everywhere, right? And again, let me go to what I said earlier. Do you, do you know why this is a reality? Because the church has not spoken enough about the subject. Right? We, we, it, I get the nature of the subject. It, we, we get real quiet when we're talking about this subject. And that, it's okay, right? If you were amening all the time, it might make me a little uncomfortable. But we get real, like, the silence, the tension, I get it. People are trying to decide what they think. Some of you aren't agreeing with what I'm saying. It's okay. And so we, let's just have our annual or maybe every other year sermon about this. And the reason why there's so much deception is because the, the, the world and culture has had free reign on speaking to it, and the church has remained silent. And, and I wish I had a, a, a well, a, 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 a better formed answer. <laughs> I've wrestled this morning because there's a lot of things. We're going to wrap this up in a few minutes. There's a lot of things I wish I could say, and this is what we're going to do, but I don't know what we're going to do. And I love be, like best church in my opinion, but we got to do better on this one. Not we, the church, the big C, this church has to do better. When we say that, that the percentage of people in the church looking at pornography, we can't just address that. We gotta have some, some way for people that are struggling with that addiction that, that science says, hey, it affects the brain like any other addiction. We have to have some way of helping people process that than just saying, hey, it's wrong, right? And it, it, listen, I'm off script now. Here's one of the things that, that, that I woke up grieved, right? I knew it was going to be a tough subject, but I woke up grieved because this is what happens. I mean, I've had this conversation in the church. Well, we need to do something to help people struggling with pornography addictions. Historically, that was a man issue. Today, a lot of data shows that it's men and women, but let's just go to the stereotypical man issue. We've got to deal with this. Well, you know, we don't want to open mic. Everyone who struggles with porn, just come admit it in front of the church. That's not the best plan, right? That's not the best plan. But it's like, well, let's, 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 form, let's, let's get a Bible study and a group going. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Well, how are we going to announce that? We can't announce it because if, if we do it as a Wednesday night class, when other people are showing up for classes, when those guys walk into that group, everyone's going to know. And you know what's grieved me? That's the problem. <laughs> I, yeah, 
people that are struggling with internet pornography, and I'm not saying we have to have it on a Wednesday night or whenever, it doesn't matter, but people that are struggling with this level of sin, which is, which, which is keeping them from the fullness of life that God has called them to, and yet they feel that if they came to the church's Bible study group for that, they can't walk in and walk in that class because what will people think, and that's something they have to process, but what have we done as a church to create it? Newsflash, we're all broken. And broken people should be able to come to the church free of shame. Because if we had a class right now with people saying, I've got an addiction to pornography and I want healing and wholeness, their sin is no more sinful than mine right now. So I wish I had, here's one, two, three, we're going to do that. I don't know, but we're going to work on it. How about that? I got to get back to my sermon now. There's deception. And deception's being accepted as design because the church is staying silent. And just candidly, we've got a hole to dig ourselves out of now. And it's gotten so rampant that sometimes the believers can't help but respond uh, with hatred, right? There's God's design, but there's cultural deceptions. <coughs> and then number three, when it comes to sex and sexuality, we have to also address our desires, right? And th this is where the rubber meets the road. What is God's design? Will, will we accept it or not? Well, I've, I read the Bible differently. We should have a conversation about that. There's God's design. There's cultural deceptions. What will I do with my desires? What will I do with my desires? We, we should restate the, right, the question that we're addressing is, does God care about my sexuality? but we should restate it and we should say, do I care about God's design for my sexuality? Will I take my desires and submit and surrender them to his design? We live in a fallen world. Our desires can and will draw us away from God's design. Let's just acknowledge that. We live in a fallen world and our desires can and will draw us away from God's design. But we don't have to let that happen. You say, well, Chris, you, you don't understand these. You, we, we're created with sexual desires and passions. You've acknowledged that I have them. I'm not married or, or I was married and I went through a divorce. And so now, you know, I, listen, you know, there are people that, that, that waited until marriage and, and before they engaged in sexual activity. And then they were married for two, four, five, 10, 20 years and they went through a divorce. And there's, I've had these conversations also. I have an actual phrase used one time that stuck with me, I have tasted the fruit of the vine, someone told me one time. And now that I'm pursuing a, another relationship, it is hard to not engage that. Beloved, what I wanna say is that we need to be reminded, we gotta talk about these issues, we also gotta talk about the fact that we can indeed follow God's design. 
God cares so much, even in the brokenness of the world, God cares so much that we would be able to follow his design that he gave us Jesus to die in our place, to pay for the sin that separates us, and then gives us the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, to empower us. And it doesn't remove all of the temptation, doesn't remove all the desire, but it gives us power to live in victory over it. A few passages I want to look at, and we're going to wrap up, <coughs> regarding Jesus' Jesus's ability. Right? I think sometimes we hear the preacher say, well, you know, Jesus can help you. And you're like, sometimes we're like, how's he helping? Right? Like, listen, I'm struggling with this. How is he helping me? And I think sometimes we limit, we limit our view of Jesus. Jesus is fully God and fully man, all right? Everybody say fully God. Everybody say fully man. I think a lot of people, now there are people who reject Jesus because they reject his deity, fancy word for God nature, right? Some people reject Jesus because they believe he wasn't God, he was just a dude. But I think in the church where we struggle is we don't have, we don't have problem acknowledging his deity, we don't always accept his humanity. And so let me just say this, and some of you may like kind of twist in your seat. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter four that we have a high priest who is able to, to sympathize. In fact, this, this is on the screen. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 tells us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, right? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was tempted. What does it say? He, 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 but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. How many ways was Jesus tempted? That's who the author's talking. How many ways was he tempted? How many? And so then verse 16, what does it tell us? Therefore, we should what? Approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think sometimes the problem with us in church is we limit Jesus, not because we deny his God reality, but his human reality. In his humanity, the Bible, this isn't Chris, the Bible states that we have a high priest in Jesus who is able to sympathize when we struggle and are tempted with all of our sexual desires because he was tempted, how? Every way. This is gonna make some people uncomfortable. Jesus was born a male, right? He was a man, right? He was sinless, right? Does that mean he was not tempted? No. And how many ways was he tempted? However you've been tempted, was he tempted that way? Yet he was what? Without sin. Therefore, because what we go through, the sexual desires, all of the sinful desires, what we go through that we give into and we don't want to, we want to walk in holiness and we want to walk in obedience, but we feel like we just can't. And Jesus is this kind of pie in the sky, sweet by and by. He doesn't get it. How, could, how can praying to Jesus help me? We have a high priest who prays on our behalf, who has been tempted in every way and a fundamental understanding of what Jesus has done for me, yes, in dying on the cross, but in facing temptation and overcoming it, that should cause me to take every temptation, to take it captive, the Bible says, take every thought captive and to take it to the throne of grace where there is help. When? 
in my time of need. When you're alone and you're tempted to pull out the phone or the laptop to search that stuff you shouldn't look at, when you're in that conversation with that member of the opposite sex that you know you shouldn't be having because you're married and maybe you're not happy in that marriage, when you feel attraction to someone of the same sex and you begin to find yourself in a situation to take the attraction and turn it into action, do you know what you do? You pray and call upon the name of Jesus because he is able to sympathize and provides help in the time of need. But what's happened is the church has said many times, you better figure that out. And, and, and we've believed we gotta pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and we've got to overcome this. And, and we've, listen, we do it in conjunction with the power of the spirit given to us by the victory of Jesus. Proverbs 5, 15 to 20, Proverbs 5, 15, 20. I think we have this one also. We have that one on this? Yeah, there we go. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares? They should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. 19, a loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breast. Oh, he said breast. I didn't say it, the writer of Proverbs did. Always satisfy you, be lost in her love forever. And verse 20, why my son would you lose yourself with a forbidden woman or embrace a wayward woman? What am I getting at here? What is Proverbs 5, 15 to 20 telling us? That while there may be a desire for, for those that are married and maybe it's not the greatest right now and you've been at odds with each other and, and maybe it feels empty and there's no passion and there's this other person, male or female, that, 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 that notices you and values you and says all the right things. The text says you, 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 you can resist that temptation. And if you think about it, why would you, why would you choose that? When God has given you, right? When God has given you your husband or your wife. And speaking of desires, let me go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says this. Now in response to the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not it is good for a man not to use a woman for sex, verse 2. But because sexual immorality is so common, see, this is thousands of years ago and Paul's still dealing with it. Because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. Let me just say this, in the language there were words for man and wife and man and, or husband and wife and man and woman and, and Paul is clearly using the, the marriage relationship here. Verse three. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. Verse four. A wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again otherwise. Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Verse 6. I say this as a concession, not as a command. In verse 7. I wish that all people were as I am, but each has his own gift from God, one person has this gift, another has that. We have, to, we have to decide what we're gonna do with our desires in light of the deception around us and God's design. Now, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 7 has become a highly debated passage in the church. It has. 
it talks about, Paul says, Paul was doing asking for a friend, right? He says, in light of what you've asked, <laughs> in light of what, is it good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman? Paul basically says, listen, there is sexual immorality, there are sexual desires and passions, and so a, a husband should have sex with his wife and a wife should have sex with her husband. He says, y'all should give yourselves to each other. And then these famous verses that have become very contentious today. For a man doesn't have authority over, or a husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but a wife does, and, and a wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Don't deprive each other, except for when you're in a season of prayer, and all the husbands say, well, I hadn't been there yet. Um, except for in a season of prayer, and then give yourself back to each other, right? Just a few things, I'm gonna wrap this up. This, this was revolutionary content from Paul. The church at Corinth was dealing with all kinds of sexual immorality, but for Paul to say specifically in this passage that a man's body, a husband's body, doesn't belong to himself but his wife, that would have blown the lid off because women had no rights over their bodies in marriage at this time. And so Paul is saying, listen, husbands, you don't belong to yourself, you belong to your wife, and yes, wives, you belong to your husbands, but he was speaking to a culturally charged reality where when women were given in marriage, and even before that, they had no identity. And it would not have been an uncommon reality that in Corinth, really in that known world, but in Corinth, for in a marriage relationship, a woman to have no say over her desire to have sex with her husband. And what's happened today, I believe, is sometimes this passage is taken, and whenever there are tensions in marriage out of sexual desires, right, sometimes this gets brought up by the man in the relationship and says, you can't tell me no. <laughs> and let me just say this. When sex becomes about my spouse meeting my needs, it ceases to be what God created it for. Did you catch that? When my view of sex is my wife better meet my needs, it ceases to be what God designed it as. This is a tense subject that's like four sermons in itself and I've got five minutes, so here we go. In a marriage relationship, a husband and wife should, should joyfully and willingly give themselves to each other. I've been married for 21 years, almost. No, 21 years, yeah. <laughs> I was like, how much? It's reaching that point. You hit 20 and then you got to keep it, yeah, almost 22. And I'll just say this for my wife and I. Um, sometimes in marriage, right? One or the other is, is wanting the gift of sex and the other is not. So the answer becomes, well, who wins? Well, beloved, that probably takes a lot more counseling than I can provide. <laughs> but think of yourself and think of how this passage applies to you and not the other. Right? I am not my own, right? I, first of all, I belong to Jesus, but in marriage, I belong to her. And so there's this dance in marriage, right? Where sometimes desires are submitted and surrendered because I don't belong to myself and don't look to my needs, but to hers. And sometimes, you know what that means? Sometimes that's gonna mean that someone in marriage who's not really wanting to have sex will say yes. And sometimes when someone who's really wanting to have, to, to have sex will say no. <laughs> 
You're like, wow, this is all over the map. Well, you asked the question. <laughs> but we have to recognize that we have desires, sexually passionate desires, and the answer is not to ignore them. That's also been the church's line. Just, you know, just, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about what, you know, what, how, what sex outside of marriage or sex inside of marriage, or we're just going to leave that alone. The goal is not to ignore the subject and not to ignore sexual desires. The goal is to submit and surrender them to Jesus. Because here's another thing that can happen in the church, and I say this for married and single people. If we're not careful in the church, we take marriage and we make it the seat of identity. And so marriage is fulfillment that can be found nowhere else. And sex is a gift. And if, you, if you've got to be married and have sex to really be fulfilled, Jesus is fulfillment. Jesus is fulfillment. I, I love my wife more than any person on the planet. The greatest gift I've been given outside of Jesus. And I do her a disservice if I put her in the role of Jesus in my heart. She will always be an amazing spouse. And she will always be a lousy savior. And so we acknowledge desires. And we acknowledge desires whenever we're not in the covenant of marriage. And we acknowledge desires that are sexual in nature, that are outside of God's good design. And I say that because we have to be willing to accept that. For some in our church today across five campuses, some are in a place where they're not sure they think God's design is good. And I wish I could say chapter and verse that when you decide you love God, everything God wants you to do, you automatically want to do. But there's this process of sanctification where we have to die to self. We have to die to self. And I have to decide whether or not I think God's design is good. But in deciding that it is, I do not ignore that desire and passion that I have. I submit and surrender it because if I do not, and hear me, this goes beyond sexual temptation. If I do not submit and surrender, then the deception of the world will feed my desire and if I let that deception feed my desire long enough, it is only a matter of time before I begin to design how I will fulfill that desire. You catch that? What do you mean? If I let the deception that it doesn't really matter, you know, I can spice things up by looking at a little porn on the side. I can, you know, it's not a big deal. If I let that deception fuel my desire and I don't get that desire in check, I will design how I will be disobedient. Take the phone into the room alone. Stay at office during the lunch hour when that person of the opposite sex, you know, will stay also. Designing, right? And that design will lead to disobedience. And the disobedience unchecked will lead to death. And what's happening when it comes to sex and sexuality is that culture is ignoring the transformational purpose God designed. I know it sounds weird, but sex is a spiritual gift. And there's a transformational purpose 
and culture has minimized it to a transactional performance. And so what do we do? Just a few things, I'd say. You may be here and you agree with almost everything I've said. And you think that there is a great problem in our world today and in our society and in this community we live in when it comes to sex and sexuality. And you're passionate and you want to speak into it. You will inevitably address people that are going to disagree with you. As believers that stand on a biblical definition of God's design of sex and sexuality, we, we are becoming the minority on this view. So we will interact with people outside the church, but candidly, inside the church, that disagree. And healthy conversation must begin with the ability to disagree with the position and respect the person. When we begin to demean the person also created in the image of God, we've lost the opportunity to speak to God's good design. It's not that we don't disagree, right? It's not that we that we back away from what we believe the Bible teaches. That's why I think that we as a church have to be clear on controversial subjects of gender dysphoria and homosexuality. And we have to say it's outside God's design. We do no one a service by not being honest with how we interpret the scriptures to teach these things. But we can say such things with grace and in love, right? We make sure that each and every day we are most outraged by our own sin. When we are more easily outraged by the sins of others, we get more comfortable with our own. And as a church, we, we welcome people that are struggling. Listen, as a church, we, we have a membership process and we believe that membership matters and it's important to the life of the church and our membership process has restrictions. And so, so people that are, that are engaging in a lifestyle outside of the biblical definition of marriage, that can be heterosexual cohabitation, that can, that can be homosexual relationship, that, that membership is not extended. That doesn't mean that there's not a welcome to be a part of worship with us. You catch that? I pray that God would bring more people struggling with his sexual design, his design for sex. I pray he would bring more people into these seats every week. Because, because we need to preach Jesus. And church, those of us that agree with God's good design and we don't have any issues with it, let us guard our hearts from thinking that those that currently are living a life sexually in some way outside of his design, that somehow they are beyond his use. Because I gotta wrap up, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus goes to this man who is possessed by demons, not singular, but plural, and he casts the demons out into this herd of pigs, this great scene, and those pigs run off a cliff, and then everyone's freaking out because Jesus commanded the demons, and then this guy who had been chained and broke the chains and just disheveled and, and everybody's scared of him, now he looks normal and he's clothed, and this, Jesus goes to leave the scene, and this guy goes, yo, I'm going with you, <laughs> And Jesus says, no, you got to stay here. He says, no, no, you did for me what no one could do for me. I'm going with you. And Jesus says, no, you stay here and you tell people. Why do you bring that up, Chris? Church, let's not believe that those that are currently 
struggling and trapped and enslaved in sexual sin that are far from Jesus. Let us not believe they cannot be brought in and used by Jesus because we believe Jesus can make a miracle out of a mess, but you better not forget he can choose the most unlikely people to be his closest followers. And what a, the church needs the testimony of those enslaved to sexual sin that find freedom in Jesus. We need the testimony. If our testimony is always polished and clean, we've missed it. So as we wrap up today, listen, during this time of worship, it might be for some that, that you just need to, 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 to sit where you are or, or stand and sing or come to the altar and, and just have a moment where you're just asking for clarity. Maybe there's some and, and there is some sexual sin in your life that you need to come and the first step will be to get to this altar and just lay that before the Lord and then <clears throat> patiently wait for the church to help you figure something out to bring some community along. And maybe for someone who's listening right now and you're struggling and there's some, some areas of your life where sexual sin is, is running rampant and, and, and it's beyond God's design and you're trying to figure out what do I need to do, what do I need to change, but the truth is you do not have a relationship with Jesus, hear me, you do not need to change your sexual identity and practices, you need to change your relational identity with Jesus. And there is no one too far gone for the grace of God not to reach. So today, if you would say, listen, I got all kinds of mess in my life, sexual or other, but I don't know that I have Jesus, then right where you are, I'm gonna give you the chance to call upon his name and receive the gift of salvation. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And this morning, if there's anyone who is ready to make the decision to trust Jesus, knowing that you may have a mess, but it's a mess that you can't handle and you believe Jesus can, and you wanna receive his gift of salvation, whoever that might be, would you just pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm lost without you. But I believe that you've made a way for me to be made whole. I believe you sent your son Jesus. I believe he died on the cross and paid for sin. I believe he rose from the dead and defeated sin and death. And I believe he is the answer that I need. And so Jesus, I trust you with my life and I receive the gift of salvation. Thank you for loving me first. Would you help me live for you every day of my life? It's in your name that I pray.